Well, if you do not have an outline, you can get one through the door on the right-hand side. Wednesday, I had, after Bible study, I'd mentioned to my wife I hadn't come up with a topic yet. Thursday, I received a text with Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is the passage we just read. Uh, and I had really was requested or asked if I had thought about speaking on developing faith. I began to think a little bit about this, and really if we begin to think about developing faith, certainly this is something that it should be important to everybody. It's applicable to everybody. Uh, but in regard to the message that I had, really it was more focused on those who would be young or those who were new in the faith. And so we are going to spend quite a bit of time focusing on those who are the younger people within the congregation. But as we do that, certainly we understand that the things we're looking at, uh, they're valuable for each of us. So certainly, as most of you know, we go through variations in our life of where we are spiritually. And so we're going to spend some time talking about developing faith in life or, as may need be, redeveloping faith in life. Let's start off with a, with a basic first before we really get into it, and that is the need for development. I think most of us understand as we go back and we begin to talk about faith, we understand that the process of learning the faith and becoming a Christian, or for some, in becoming a stronger Christian, it's not something that immediately just happens within our lives. We know that it's a process of development that takes place over time, uh, and we know oftentimes it can be hindered by all of the different things that we deal with in life. But it is a process that does take place whether we are young or whether we are old. And again, it's an ongoing process. And sometimes, and maybe you guys are willing to admit it as much as I am, sometimes it doesn't really occur as fast as we want it to. We know where we want to be spiritually, and yet we struggle, we fall short. And oftentimes, I think it's interesting, when we go back and we begin to think about evangelism or growing in the faith, it seems like oftentimes we think about the sinner that needs to be converted and obey the gospel. However, we oftentimes leave out the younger when we begin to talk about developing faith or, or this process of coming to the faith. As we talk about this subject, I'm going to go back for just a second and focus on something that we mentioned in the last couple of weeks. I think a number of parents have been concerned, and rightfully so, for their children's salvation. And many parents spiritually take an active role within their children's lives, trying to bring them up and to grow them and to nurture them in knowledge and in the faith. And, and that's really what we want. But then we have other parents who really don't do this. Some neglect their role as a parent. They neglect bringing their children up in the truth and in the faith. And oftentimes it's because they think that, well, the, the children, uh, because they were brought up in a Christian home, they're going to learn the faith and they'll develop it on their own. And then you have a third mindset, which is really those who really have not done their job at all. They've neglected teaching their children uh, anything regarding the faith. And they really just have this idea of, well, you know, they grew up in the church, uh, and so they'll develop this faith on their own, and eventually they will become Christians. And as I mentioned in the last couple weeks, many of us have watched our youth grow up. We have watched them, and as they will, they eventually leave home. Uh, and we want the best for them. We want them to keep the faith. And then, however, you have many today who are grieving that their children are not faithful that their children have left the faith. And in looking back, the parents realized that these children never did develop 
in the faith. They didn't grow spiritually. But let's not just leave the children there for, let's think about adults for a second. How many adults are sitting in the seats right now who are at the same place spiritually today that they were a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago? They're not developing in the faith. And sometimes it's because of the things they really learned when they were younger. Why are children leaving the faith? Why are those who were grown up in the church and supposedly we thought were faithful Christians, why are they leaving the faith? I began to think a lot about it, and as I noticed and looked through articles, it seems like an awful lot of people want to point the finger at everybody but themselves. And I think what we find is, is you have parents blaming schools, they blame other children, they blame the media, they blame the world, they blame, sometimes I've seen this, the local congregation. You have elders and preachers, they don't want to blame themselves, so they blame the parents, or they blame the children, or they blame the unfaithful members. And then you have children, how many have seen this, they oftentimes blame the church. Right? The church wasn't responsive to my needs. Or they blame their parents. Or they even blame life itself for the circumstances they've had to deal with. And so what we really need to do is really to stop blaming others. Uh, take responsibility and begin to work together. What do I mean? Well, we as parents, we've got to take responsibility. For the children who have not yet obeyed the gospel, you've got to take responsibility. For the older people who are here who have maybe not yet obeyed the gospel, you have to take responsibility. One of the things we have to do is to stop blaming parents, our heritage, our life situations, the things going on around us. And furthermore, as I begin to think about this, and this really probably relates to all of us here, as long as a person's faith is dependent upon the faith of somebody else, they're going to be weak and unable really to survive on their own regarding their faith. And so for those of you who grew up outside of the church, what I'm talking about is the denominational world. Think about how often the fact is that you were raised up and you didn't really think of a faith of your own. You thought of the faith that you were told you would be. Right? I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. Many of us had that process. We didn't think of the faith being our own faith. We just did what we were taught. We never really developed in faith, at least not what was found in the Bible. And in order for anybody, whether they're a young child or whether they are an adult, to be able to survive on their own, they've got to transition from the, their parents' faith to their own faith. They've got to be able to stand on their own two feet. And that's the same for anybody who's grown up in denominationalism, atheism, agnosticism, anybody who really has nothing at all. They have to begin to transition to the faith. And when I begin to talk about the faith, we're talking about this, right? For the younger people in, in the seats right now, we want you to be faithful Christians, but this should be what you're looking to. Your parents, I'm sure, want to tell you to do right, and that's their goal, but you've got to go back to this. For those who grew up in denominationalism, and many of us did, we struggled with it, get away from what you were told. Don't believe it just because you were told something. Go back and begin to study, begin to look at it. And the goal is to develop a faith. A faith that's in alignment with the faith. I mean, other Christians can teach people to appreciate the Lord and His Word and to, to be spiritual for themselves. And in the case of children, parents have to give them the opportunity to grow in their faith, to test their own abilities, to test their own thought processes, to examine their own beliefs. And I'm going to touch on that for a minute because, guys, that is hard. It's not just hard for our children who have yet to develop their own faith 
It is even hard for those of us who are, are adult Christians, who have been Christians even for a number of years, to challenge ourselves, to test ourselves and say, is what I thought correct? Young people have to be honest with themselves, and really even with those who are trying to help them, and, and really you hope they have this intent or this understanding that they realize people are trying to do the best for them. Have you guys ever heard a younger person say, well, you know, my mom or my dad, really, they won't let me do that. That is totally different than a child saying, I don't do that because the Scripture does not allow. Let me say that again. Parents, parents will tell their children, don't do that. And, and kids will tell their friends that, I can't do that. My parents won't allow it. We need to get them away from being told what they can or cannot do to them having their own understanding of saying the Bible says that a Christian ought not to do that. That's all part of the development phase, right? Now, we know as parents we do give those guidelines, and it is needed. But part of what we're doing is reinstituting the basic fundamentals until they can learn to develop the logic and understanding to apply that to themselves. The young people that we have here today, young people within the church worldwide, they can do what adults can do. And they can make the faith, the faith, their faith. As a matter of fact, not only can they, the, depend, the dependence of the church exists on them doing that. If our younger people are not making the faith, their faith, the church will begin to dwindle. I've already touched on the fact that this has been taking place. And we can't always prepare our and navigate the future for our youth, but what we can do is prepare our youth to navigate the future. What I mean is, is to be able to deal with the things that are going on around them, and that's because they have an understanding of the faith and how it applies to them. And I want to point something else out here because I think this is often forgot. A child is not a Christian child, but is a child to Christian parents. And the reason I distinguish that is, is our children need to come up learning that they're not yet Christians. They're, they're children to Christians. They're not yet Christians. They're not Christian children. They're, they're not anything yet. And they need to understand that at some point they are going to have to make the decision, just like their parents, to follow the faith. And so we need to make that distinguishing point with our children. You're not yet Christians yet. You're not Christian children because you haven't obeyed the faith. You're being brought up and you're being shown how to, how to live the faith by those of us who are Christians, but you have not yet obeyed the faith. The same is for those that might be attending congregations who have yet to obey the gospel. And many of those people, they think that they're Christians, just like children who oftentimes are raised to think you're Christian children. With that being said, let me point one thing out and then we'll start to get to some of our points here. We cannot indoctrinate our children. Now you may say, now what, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Let me, let me give you the term indoctrination. The, the term indoctrination is what happened to me as a child being raised in the Catholic faith. Here's the definition for indoctrination, and listen, listen closely. It is the process of repeating an idea or belief to someone until they accept it, here's the key part, without criticism or question. That is not what we do with our children. We do teach them many things, but what we want is for them to come back logically and ask the question, why? 
Why? Why? Why do you believe that? Why am I supposed to believe that? And in both, our, in both for us as adults and for them as children, we both should be trying to get to the same place, and that is what? Book, chapter, and verse. Again, my wife would ask when we were dating, uh, she would say, why do you believe that as a Catholic? And I would say, I don't know. And the reason I didn't know was because I had been indoctrinated. I was just simply told the Catholic Church teaches this, and that's what you're to believe. That is not what we want for our youth. We want our youth to be raised up to think logically, to think scripturally, to ask those hard questions. And many of those are hard questions that we as adults are even still asking today. And so as the young are trying to develop their faith and we are trying to help them along, we as adults are also trying to develop our faith. We are trying to get to the point for us and for our children to be able to defend the faith. Listen to 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That is what we as adults want. And that's what we want for our children. But we don't want our children ask or answering the question like this. That's what my parents had told me. That's what I was taught. I was told I, I, was told I can't do that. That's not what we want. We want the children to have the same process as us and to go back and to say, well, that's what the Bible teaches. We don't want to indoctrinate them. We want to teach them. We want them to think for themselves. We want them to logic for themselves. Because if they cannot be brought up in a way to think for themselves and to logic for themselves, all you are doing is shoving onto them a faith that they never have truly accepted and they don't understand it. And they can never contend for the faith. They can never come out and defend the faith with a faith like that. And so that's not what we want for them. That's not what we want for ourselves. We have to develop others by teaching them how to think for themselves, how to evaluate the evidence, and that it is acceptable to question and to disagree. How often have we had Bible discussions where we didn't agree on things and where we, they were uncomfortable and we said, let's go back and let's study it. And I think we've done that well. Even when maybe we disagreed, I don't recall us ever coming to blows. How many of you guys have ever had heated discussions with someone over the Bible? Do you think that's wrong? I mean, it is if we begin to get hateful. But isn't that part of the, logicing, the logic process? Isn't that part of us developing our faith? And sometimes those things we're looking at, they are uncomfortable. Well, here's what I want to point out as we talk about the youth and those who are older. First, there is a need for development. It's needed when you're young. It's needed when you're older. But there's also the fact that we can commit to the faith. And again, that relates to both old and to young. Now, I'm going to focus primarily on the young here for a few minutes. So if you're younger, please listen up, because that was really the request of the sermon. But as we go back and we begin to look at the Old Testament, we have a number of examples of those who were younger people, and yet they were committed to faithfulness to God and to His Word. I'm going to go on over to Genesis chapter 39. Most of us are familiar with Joseph. Joseph, here in this account, uh, was in Potiphar's house. And Joseph at this time would have been about 17. Okay, And here we have Joseph resisting his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, who is... Uh, Advance, well, she's uh, tempting him. And, and the attempt could, for those who are younger in the faith, you could be tempted in a number of regards. It could be to, to sin or to, to, well, to steal or to do a number of things, to lie. 
Here, Joseph's being tempted by somebody who's not his wife. Genesis 39, 7 through 10. And I want you to point something out here. When he has this discussion with Potiphar's wife, I want you to notice how often he refers to Potiphar himself. It's almost his way of reminding her that you're married. And it came to pass after these things, Genesis 39, verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, that's her husband, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed, he, Potiphar, hath committed all that he hath to my hand. Notice how he's reminding her about the fact that uh, she's married to, and he works for her husband. Verse 9, There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he, her husband, kept back anything for me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph, notice this, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her or to be with her. Here you have a young man who is being constantly tempted by a woman to do something that he knows is wrong. And I would suggest that many of our youth have had to deal with situations like this. They're constantly being tempted with sin. And guys, it's very easy to succumb to a number of these different types of sin that we're looking at. But here's my point. We have examples of young people determining within themselves to be faithful to God, willing to do anything to be faithful to God, literally with the same mindset that he has here where he says, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? Our young people, we, give, we should give them much more credit than oftentimes we do. Now, granted, we do make oftentimes bad decisions when we're younger. But how many of you guys know somebody who's older that makes bad decisions? Our young people can be faithful we have examples of those who were young and were faithful. They also can be courageous. Let's go on over for a second to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, most of you are very familiar with this account. Here we have David fighting for God's honor. David here is probably somewhere right around the age of 15. Now, everybody really probably knows the account about David and Goliath. You know, it's interesting to me that many people will begin to look at our younger people and they think that they are not courageous, that they're not willing to stand up for God. And yet we can go back and we can begin to look through many of our scriptures and we find those who are young, who are courageous. Guys, I have oftentimes found that the ones who are really zealous for the Lord are the younger people. And sometimes it's because they haven't been so turned off by the church around them. They haven't been hurt maybe by those Christians around them. They're zealous in the faith. Listen to 1 Samuel 17, 37. Now, if you guys don't know what's taking place here in this account, it was pretty common that when armies would come in battle, that's not really something we do today, but the, the armies would oftentimes line up across from each other, and here we have this taking place in this valley, and what would happen is, is they would literally insult back and forth at each other, trying to tempt and goad the other one to come out. Listen to 1 Samuel 17, 37. And this is David really... Uh, trying to convince uh, Saul that he can go out and he can face this Philistine. They're out there making fun of the Israelites and nobody's going out and doing anything. And so David goes to the king 
David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David was seeing other people attack God, literally mocking the Israelites. And I want to point something out here. How come the king's not standing up to them? How come their soldiers trained to battle are not standing up for themselves? David, a ruddy youth, shows up and says, I'll, I'll take him on. They're literally, they're literally mocking us and defiling and calling us names and, and mocking our God. And I think every Christian wants to have a child raised up in the faith where they'll defend God. You may say, well, we don't have this kind of stuff going on. Guys, we need to defend God oftentimes in this secular world, and we need youth with the same type of courage that David has here. He says, I'm not going to let them do this. I'm going to stand up. The other people wouldn't, but David, young, courageous youth, many looking at him saying, what's he going to be able to do? He says he's already been delivered out of the paw of the lion. How many of you guys will fight a lion? Out of the paw of the bear. How many of you have the courage to fight a bear? This is a guy who could stand up against the Philistines. He's already proven himself courageous. Listen to 1 Samuel 17, verse 42 through 47, as we literally have his interaction with the Philistine. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair countenance. He looks at him and says, this guy's not going to be a challenge. Verse 43, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield? But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine, hand, take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands." The young person comes up in what looks to be a, an obstacle which is undefeatable, in which the king's not standing up, in which the trained men of the armies are not standing up. But here you have a youth. He's zealous enough to stand up and to take the challenge head on. I believe we have youth in the church today who are at the point where they are zealous enough, and many of them even educated enough to defend the faith, to defend God. And guys, if you don't think God needs defending, and to be honest, he, he doesn't need for Himself, but if you don't think we need to defend God and His Word, just turn the news on for 20 minutes. Just listen to the things being talked about in our secular places, schools, universities. There have to be those that will stand up. And many of our youth can, just as our adults need to be able to. Let's talk about Daniel for a minute, Daniel 1.8. Daniel decided he wasn't going to defile himself. Now, many of you are familiar here with this account, Daniel 1.8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. 
he's probably about 16 years old here in this account. He would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now, I'm not going to go back, but if you recall, the Israelites had very strict sec, uh, diet, dietary uh, rules that they had to follow, and he's not going to violate those. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Do you think it was hard for him to go up and tell a superior to himself, hey, listen, I'm not really allowed to do those things, and so what I'm asking is, is you would make an exception for me that we would not have to partake in that. Here's a person who has decided that he's going to follow the commands of God. But in such doing, really what he is doing is drawing all eyes to himself. He's saying, I'm different from the rest of you. I can't do those things. And not only that, I, I'm not going to be involved in that. How often do you think it is that our youth, well, or how many are willing to go and to tell someone, hey, listen, I know so-and-so is doing this, but I can't be involved in that. Or I'm not, I'm not allowed to do that because of whatever the reason may be. That's hard for a younger person to be able to go and to tell someone else, I can't do that. Because everybody's going to look at them. And how are they going to look at them? Well, they're different. But should our youth be different than the world? Are there things they should not be doing? Should they have the courage to stand up and say, I can't do that? Daniel did. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These are contemporaries of Daniel. They're probably about the same age. Not told exactly. Probably around the age of 16, somewhere in that area. Their story is the story of three Jewish young men who were threatened to be thrown into alive into a huge fiery furnace if they wouldn't bow down to the Babylonian idols. They're not going to do it. And they know what's, what may lie in store for them when they refuse to do it. And let me tell you, for the younger people here, as much as for the younger people or for the older people here, there are going to be times where we are really told that we ought to engage in something, and we know that it's not right. And you'll hear things like, "Everybody does it, right?" I mean, that's it's just it's the culture we live in. Listen to Daniel three sixteen through eighteen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, "They're talking to Nebuchadnezzar here, O Nebuchadnezzar." We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Notice this. But if not, if we die in the fiery furnace, if he chooses for whatever reason not to save us, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Yeah, they're maybe younger, but they're courageous in their faith. They're willing to take a stand. And guys, we have got to bring up youth who are, who are knowledgeable about the Scriptures enough to know that there is a point at which you have to draw a line in the sand. And then they have to have the courage to say, I am not going to be involved in that. Even if the consequences are harsh, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, even though this may happen, and even if he's not going to save us, we will not. That's what we want to raise up. That's the type of faith we're trying to develop for the younger people within the pews. But I'm going to tell you this, it's not just the younger people. Some of us need stronger faiths. Some of us need more courageous faiths. 
especially as we're supposed to emulate that and exemplify that for those who are younger and are not yet Christians. We have other New Testament examples. Let me mention Mary for just a second. I'm going to go over to Luke chapter 1. Mary, we know, found favor with God. She rejoiced in Him. She was probably, the Bible doesn't say exactly, she was probably about the age of 15 or 16 here. Luke 1.30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Why did God uh, have favor in her? Well, it's certain that she was being faithful in all respects, as, as was expected of a young Jewish lady, right? Luke 1, 46-49, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For He hath regarded the lowest state of His handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For He that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is His name. She found favor with God, and she says, I may appear basically of, uh, of lowest state, but I have been blessed. Guys, oftentimes I don't think we realize that we will be blessed in numerous ways, ways that maybe do not even comprehend in our mind, just simply because of our faithfulness. There are plenty of other examples we could go back and look at of young. There's plenty of examples we could look at of people who are older, who are being committed to the faith. And we have to realize that today is there are some who need to go back and to recommit themselves to the faith that they once had. How many of you guys have ever realized when you were having spiritual lows? At one time you were zealous, you were courageous, and now you look back and it's almost like you're just going through the motions. And you realize yourself, I need to recommit myself back to the point at which it was when I first became a Christian. I remember how enthusiastic I was when I first became a Christian. But my point in pointing all of this out, whether young or with old, anybody at any time can commit themselves to the faith or recommit themselves to the faith. And it's a process that's going to continue on and on and on all throughout our lives. There's going to be the highs. There's going to be the lows. That's something we have to think about as we're talking about developing our faith in life. Let's realize about, uh, talk about realizing and instituting a defense. We're constantly at war. And oftentimes the war is really a battle within. And I think probably the, the majority of times, as a matter of fact, I'm positive, the majority of times, the very first times that we begin to experience or deal with this battle within is when we're younger. It's when we begin to get a knowledge and understanding of what sin is, and then we begin to battle within ourselves. Can I do that? Should I do that? It's a warfare that we struggle with because of all of the things around us. Our young especially deal with this. And it's interesting, when you look at people writing on things such as peer pressure, they always seem to focus on the younger people. Let me ask you a question, and don't get me wrong, our younger people, younger people, you're going to deal with peer pressure. But how many of you have no noticed older people dealing with peer pressure? I've dealt with peer pressure. I'm sure you've all dealt with peer pressure, but oftentimes it is the younger people. Oftentimes there's pressure from other young people who encourage them to go out into sin. We have to remember 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and this is what we're trying to bring our children up, remembering and concentrating on and thinking about as they're developing their faith. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That passage is important for us as adult Christians, but that passage is also necessary for our younger generation to come up and to understand that everybody has to learn to see the difference between the pleasures of today as opposed to the pleasures of an eternal inheritance in heaven. And for both the young and for the old, if we can begin to ask ourselves, is this really worth this pleasure in this life? Is this really worth risking my pleasure in the next? And so we have to get them to begin to realize and to institute a defense. They deal not just with people around them, encouraging them to sin. They deal with a number of different ideologies around them, such as humanism, atheism, agnosticism, hedonism, and the list goes on and on and on. And listen to 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 4. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Let me pause for a second. Now, he, he calls out the Gentiles here doing this, but guys, I would say that's the world around us. They're doing the exact same things. And then he says this, verse 4, wherein they think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. What was he saying? The Gentiles think you guys are weird because you don't do the same things that they do. Guys, the world thinks Christians are weird because we don't do the same things that they do. And our youth need to be brought up as they're developing in faith to understand the world's going to think you are different, think you are weird, and the reason is is because you are supposed to be different. To the world, you will be weird. The fact that you're not going out on Friday... This was at work. They were talking about going out and partying on the weekend, going out and getting intoxicated. That's what the world does. That's what the Gentiles did. And he says... They think it's weird you don't go out and do that. They think it's weird that you act the way that you do. Guys, if we want our youth to develop in faith, one of the things we need to get them to understand is is people are going to think you're different and you're weird. And the the reason is is because you you are, or at least you're supposed to be. Now let me take a sidetrack. How many know a Christian who's not weird? They're not different. They live just like the world. They've never really developed in their faith, or if they did, they've left that, and they need to come back. Our youth are going to see and battle against a number of different things from the world, but it's not just the world. They battle this kind of stuff even within the church. They battle hypocrisy. They even battle apathy within members of the church. And guys, we know that this is true. And many people were raised in congregations, and they saw this, And now they're adults, and many of them have struggled in their faith, or their faith is weakened because they have seen horrible, hateful things take place within congregations. And for those reasons, many of them have dwindled in their faith or left the faith. We want our youth to develop in the faith, but here's what I want you to understand. You're going to see people who are hypocrites in the church. Our younger people, don't let that persuade you to not be faithful. If you're not faithful because someone else is a hypocrite, your problem is with them, not with the church. 
It's with the individuals that aren't being faithful. Don't allow other people to take your faith away just because they're choosing to not be faithful themselves. You're going to see hypocrites in the church. You're going to see apathy in the church. You're going to see lukewarmness in the church. And I'd go so far as to say many congregations are full of it. How many of you recall the account with the Ephesians? I'm going to go over to Revelation 2.4. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Our younger people, you're going to find people within the congregations who have left their first love. They may be going through the motions, but they didn't develop a type of faith that would keep them steadfast. We could go on over to the Laodiceans in Revelation 3.15. He says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. He then goes on and he begins to talk about how he can spew them out of his mouth. That's how disgusting they are to him, that lukewarmness that they have. Youth, you're going to find people in the church that are lukewarm. Don't allow them to influence you to be lukewarm. For our adults, sometimes it's those of us that are lukewarm that are hindering developing the faith in the younger because they see it in us. And they look and they say, they're, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I believe that's why a number of people have left the church. Not because the church wasn't possibly teaching truth or whatever. They didn't see it in action being carried out. And so they look at people and they think, these guys are a bunch of hypocrites. And if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. And so instead of encouraging them and helping them to develop the faith... We literally hinder their faith because we are hypocritical, because we are apathetic, because we are lukewarm. And it's a shame, but for both the youth and for, for everyone here, we can't allow those other people that are choosing not to be faithful to hinder us from developing a stronger faith. Let's talk about decision and power for a second. A lot of people when you begin to talk about developing faith and you begin to ask where they are or how it is that they got to where they are, you hear an awful lot of excuses. There is power within personal decision. Our youth can be taught. And I want to say this, I think a lot of people, I have noticed that many people when they teach the youth, they teach at a very low, embarrassing level regarding the Scriptures. They take little children's books and they read stories to these children who are three, four, five, and six, and they teach them like they can't learn. But they can. They can learn at a level well above what the majority of us think. I was watching a, I was watching a guy uh, working on a car the other day on YouTube, and he's got a little kid over there. He's got a little bitty kid. He's got a little kid over there. He's got a wrench, and he's putting stuff together. You've got adults that can't even put a bolt in something, and here you've got a little two- or three-year-old sitting over there with putting stuff together. They can, they can far exceed not only what they do, but how they think and how they process. Now, I'm not saying that we can just give them a verse and expect them to understand it, but we can read the verse, and we can break it down in a language that they can understand. They can get it. We've heard little ones up here memorize verbatim, Bible passages. They have the ability to think. And if they have the ability to think and to be taught, they can make decisions. They can make decisions to do right. Even little ones at three years old can make the decision, is it okay to take that? 
They might have a different process in getting to that thought process or decision making, but they have the ability to do that, just as the older people. Listen to Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now the thought process of a four-year-old is going to be different than the thought process of a five-year-old. But even a four-year-old can be taught to the extent where they are going to obey due to fear and trembling. And with the level they're at, they can have an understanding of what is expected of them. Yeah, I know they're not Christians yet. But even at three years old, even at four years old, even at eight years old, we are beginning to develop them in faith as according to the ability that they have. And not only are we bringing them up that way, let me go back and touch on the previous point, we can't be hypocritical in front of them, which ruins everything that we're telling them. We can't tell them to treat people a certain way and not treat people a certain way. We can't tell them not to steal and then we steal. We can't tell them to not be hurtful to other people or talk behind other people's backs and then we do it. We're bringing them up, we're showing them, we're explaining to them and they are learning wherever it is that they are at. And they need to get to the point and we need to teach them to get them to this point about the fact that they are, they are in a serious battle and they are going to have to learn to arm themselves and they need to know about the armor that they must wear. But here's the thing, we can't put the armor on them. they got to choose to arm themselves. Listen to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. Remember, we... How many of you guys can remember when you were little, you wanted to go skateboarding, and your mom or your daddy would take you over, and they put the knee pads on you, they put the elbow pads on you, because they know you're going to fall, right? We want the same type of armor and protection for our children, but guys, when it comes to spiritual armor, there's only so much we can do. They have to choose it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand." We want to, for our children, we, and oftentimes to their, to their neglect, we do too much for them. We want to protect them. We want to do everything we can for them. And guys, if we don't, if we don't encourage them and expect them to, to begin to take care of themselves, to be, to be able to understand how to protect themselves, we are not raising children that we can send out to the world. I have had people tell me, and I have actually seen where people raised children up in good Christian homes. The children were taught right, and they were, they were told to do right, but they never really made the faith their own. And then when they went away to college, they literally went insane and did everything and anything that they could think about doing. Was it because the parents sheltered them too much? As parents, that's what we do. We want to shelter our children. But they've got to also be tested. Here's what I'm saying. When they're young, send them out and let them, let them be involved in things. I'm not suggesting you send them out to be involved in sin, but they're going to be tempted from the ages of four, five, and six and on up, right? 
They're going to have little friends that will say, hey, let's go in and take a cookie out of the cookie jar. That seems simple enough, but guys, that's where it starts. And it, it evolves into some serious sins within high school where friends are saying, let's be involved in this, let's be involved in that. We have to give them enough room to go out and to try things, give them enough rope to go out, but not enough rope to hang themselves. We want to be watchful. We want to let them test themselves. And yet we have to keep an ever, an ever closeful eye on everything they do. And the children don't like that. We want them to challenge themselves, but at the same point, we want to be... It's like when you're walking by the side of the river and you want the kid to, to, to learn, but you stay close enough to grab the back of the collar because you don't want him to drown while he's learning, right? Close enough to save him, close enough to snatch him back, but allowing him to get close enough to realize the dangers. We have to do the same thing in life. And so they have to learn to arm themselves. Again, that's why we go back and we spend so much time in the Word. And speaking of that, that's why they have many weapons they can go to. Let's talk about God's Word for just a second. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. And we focus on this heavily with our youth here, but we focus heavily on this not just with our youth, but with everyone, the adults also. Psalms 119, 9 through 11. Wherewithal, I know we don't use that word very much, but what he's saying is, is wherewith or how. How shall a young man cleanse his way? A lot of young people probably are asking this question. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Guys, there isn't any development of the faith apart from the word of God. That's why we spend so much time on book, chapter, and verse. I know a lot of people say, I don't like... I, you use too much Scripture. I really do not like all that Scripture. It doesn't flow very well. It's much easier if you just get up and read one passage and then you give your sermon. And that's what a lot of people do. That is not what our youth need. Our youth need to come up being taught the Word, knowing that they need to maintain faithfulness according to the Word. That's why we use so much book, chapter, and verse, but it's not just the youth, it's us. How are we going to know how to be pure how are we going to know how not to wander from His commandments if we're not hearing book, chapter, verse preaching? And guys, people are getting away from that. A lot of people don't even want to hear it anymore. They're even getting away from giving actual sermons that really go into depth and speak in depth. I was told in school, don't speak longer than 25 minutes. Today's culture, they said, we live in a sitcom society. They said people cannot sit for 25 minutes. That's as long as they can listen. Do you guys believe that? I know we've gone an hour before. We underestimate our youth, and we underestimate the older people in the pews. We can handle more than 20 minutes of listening to God's Word, and they need to hear this. But it's not just God's Word that they need in their arsenal. They need prayer. I mean, are our children being brought up to be prayerful people? Listen to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The faithful men and women that we read about, both within our Old Testaments and even within our New Testament, they were praying people. If you can think to the people, think, everybody think of one person in your mind right now that you think is a very faithful person. Would you describe them as a praying, a, prayer, a prayerful person? 
Now let me ask you another question. Does your family, if you have children, do your children see you praying on a regular basis? Do you pray in public when you go out to eat or is that embarrassing? If something bad were to happen at work, does it bother you to go to prayer right there even if other people are around? Are you a prayerful, are you a prayerful person? Our youth need to be brought up not only seeing us pray, but being brought up and understanding that prayer is an imperative, necessary part of our life. It's one of the things that helps us get through, through struggles and, and tough situations. When we don't know what else to do, what, what can we do? We can pray. Our children need to see us doing that. They also have the church. Listen to Hebrews 3, 13 through 14. And this is oftentimes, I think, undervalued for many people, not just our youth. They grow up looking really at the church as nothing more than something they do on Sunday morning, not, not something that's there to benefit them and to strengthen them. Hebrews 3, 13 and 14, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Our children need to be raised within congregations where they see the benefit of the church as a whole. Where the church helps one another, where the church is in unity, where they're not seeing the things like hypocrisy and apathy and lukewarmness, where they look at the church as a place where they come to get encouragement, where they come to to be strengthened throughout the week, why they see the need to even come on Wednesday to continue to be strengthened as they have to go back out into the world. They need to look at the church as a benefit. And if our youth are going to develop in a faith that will keep them steadfast, they've got, to, they've got to focus on God's Word. They have got to focus on prayer. They have got to focus on the benefits within the local congregation. Let me touch just briefly on the ability to choose. Certainly, we believe in free will. We could look at examples. I had, I've had people say, well, there's no such thing as free will. I'm not going to go back and debate that argument today. Let me ask everybody a question. Did every one of you get up today and choose to come here to this congregation today? If you got up and said, you know what, I think I'm going to go to church, even if you pulled the cover back over your heads for 15 minutes, you still got up and said, I'm going to go to church. You have free will. We have the ability to choose, but we do not have the power to avoid the consequences for our choices. That's one of the things we need to get our, little, our, our younger children here to understand. For the little ones here, you have the ability to do right and do wrong. You can steal, you can lie, and you can do a number of other things. But here's what you do not have the ability to change. No matter what you choose to do, there will be a consequence. You choose to be faithful, many times there's no consequence at all. It could come to a point where maybe someone says, you're not allowed to go to church, and you do have to go to church. So, in that case, if you're going to be faithful, there'll be a consequence. But in, in those cases where you might choose to do wrong, bad things will happen. Somebody was telling me at work this week about a person who was intoxicated. I think this might have been up in Grand Rapids. Uh, tell me, shake your head if I'm, wrong, if I'm right or wrong, but apparently somebody crossed the center line. Uh, it was a gentleman who was intoxicated. I think this was about 4 or 5 in the afternoon. He hit a woman head-on. She was 30-some years old, and he killed her. I guess he was only 20-some years old. Let me help you out with his thought process. And for our younger ones, this is, this is what happens with your thought process. 
His thought process was, I'm going to get up. He may have been thinking, I'm going to go have a good time with my friends. I doubt he was thinking, I'm going to go sin today. But he got up and he went out and he began to drink alcohol. And he became intoxicated. And then he made another choice, which was to get behind the wheel of his car. And then he made the choice to drive home. And because he was intoxicated, he killed another person. And so now he's going to be charged with manslaughter. And he's going to get a lot of years, most likely in jail. He had the choice to decide, but he does not have the choice of what those consequences will be that are going to be pushed out to him. And that's what we need our youth to understand. You have the choice, but you may not have the choice to deal with the consequences. And the same goes for us as adults. We have the choice to do what it is that we want to do, but there's always a consequence. Listen to Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. For our little ones here, for the younger people here, for those, I guess, who are young at heart, <laughs> don't allow the first 20 or 30 years of your life to create havoc and consequences for the next 50. And I will say there are probably a number of people here who are Christians now who at one time were not, who look back on the things that they did and wish they could go back and take them all away. We wish we never did them. And for some of us, we're lucky enough that there weren't heavy consequences. Then there are some who have made decisions when they were young or when they were not thinking or maybe... Maybe when they were older and not thinking and the consequences are harsh, specifically when you begin to talk about things like marriage, divorce, and remarriage, when you begin to talk about things like sexual sin, those have a very heavy consequence on them. And so what do we want for our youth? I think really if you break it down in a nutshell, it's the same thing we want for everyone else. To be brought up in such a way as to be able to use logic and reasoning and the scriptures to develop a faith which would allow us to remain steadfast even though the world around us is constantly bombarding us with air, constantly tempting us, and constantly wanting us to become wayward from God. And so whether you're four years old or eight years old or 20 years old or whether you're 70 years old, we all need to develop our faith continually, daily. We need to become a Christian and serve the Lord from our faith, from our heart, and that's what we want for our youth. And in this way, if they will grow up listening to the Word, learning the Word, logically working through it, and then choosing themselves to be faithful, that will create a faith that should endure and last in their entire life. But you may be here and you may be a Christian or you have been a Christian for a long time and you say I've not been faithful well you need to go back and rededicate yourself to the Lord just like those who are initially dedicating them, themselves to the Lord by obeying the gospel you need to have the same zealous fervor for the Lord that you had when you obeyed the gospel if you're here and you've not obeyed the, go the gospel I'm going to tell you how here real quick but if you are here and you're a Christian go back and ask yourself have you been lukewarm have you been apathetic have you been hypocritical it's time to rededicate yourself. If you're here and you're not a Christian, what I mean is, is you've never obeyed the gospel. 
It's not complicated. I'm not going to go back and give you all the conversion accounts. I, I, I would encourage everyone here, whether you're watching this online or whether you're here, go back and read the Scriptures. If you will do what they did in the Scriptures, you can, be, you can become a Christian just like they did in the first century. People were teaching the Gospel. That's how faith comes, by hearing, Romans 10, 17. They learned about Jesus and they believed He was the Messiah, John 8, 24. And they had faith, Hebrews eleven six. They were taught about sin and the consequence of sin. They even knew of Jesus telling them to repent of sin, Luke 13, 3 and 5. Paul did the same thing at Mars Hill in Acts 17, 30. And so because they understood the consequence of sin, they repented of sin. They confessed Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10, with their mouth. And they were baptized by immersion for the remission of sins. Every, every conversion account culminates in the act of baptism. So they heard, they believed, they repented, they confessed, and they were immersed in water. That is what we find in the Scriptures. And then they were told to be faithful. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, you probably remember the account where Jesus says, Go and sin no more. That's our goal as Christians, to, to become a new creation in Christ and to go and to sin no more. We'll fall short of that, I'm sure. But we can go back to 1 John 1, 7 through 9, repent of it, and again turn faithful and be cleansed by the blood of Christ. If you're here and you've not obeyed the gospel, you need to. Let somebody teach you. Let someone study with you. If you're here and you have not been a faithful Christian, rededicate your life to the Lord. It is imperative for each of us to develop in our faith. If there's a way we can help you, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.